You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Going to have a bit of a unique episode tonight. Uh, first half of the episode, we're going to have a conversation with my friend Nick, who is an ED nurse and manager at one of the largest hospitals in New York City, who is obviously dealing with uh, a unique and scary situation. So I wanted to have a conversation with him about what life is like there right now uh, and just you know let, let him talk about the overall situation. Uh, coming out of this episode, we're going to be pushing out a link uh, to a medical mask for healthcare worker fundraiser that a few of our friends, uh, including my wife, are involved in raising money for. They've actually already raised over $5,000. All this money is going to be directly donated to getting masks for our healthcare workers. We, me, have an inordinate, inordinate number of people around us who uh, are working in hospitals right now. Uh, we're going to talk to my friend Nick on this show. Uh, his wife works in a hospital. My sister works in a hospital. Uh, we have two other close friends who work in New York City hospitals. Uh, my aunt was involved in working at one of the testing centers in North Jersey. Uh, we just have a lot of people in our lives who are involved in this stuff, so it's a, it's a near and dear one uh, to our friends and family. So we'll push that link out, and we're we're working closely with our friends who are working at this hospital about the most effective way uh, to have this money move as quickly as possible to getting masks in their hands. So that will be the cause uh, that we'll be sharing out of this episode. After me and Nick's conversation, which will probably go for about 12-ish minutes or so, i uh, going to close the episode doing what I did last Sunday in this podcast, which is resetting the Jets' overall depth chart after the next wave of free agency that they went through. i uh, going to spend most of the time talking about the offense and Robbie Anderson and Brashad Perryman, which has dominated my mentions today and considering how long we have to wait for football uh, is likely to be a common topic of conversation. So uh, we will talk the real world serious issues in the first half of the podcast and then our distraction, uh, normal New York Jets issues in the back half of the podcast. Uh, before we jump into my conversation with Nick, want to remind you guys that every night local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms the vast majority of the time. They have no idea whether the alarm is real. Is there really a crime going on or not? All the alarm company can tell them is the motion sensor went off. Simply Safe home security is different. If there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. 
That means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. You get comprehensive protection for your entire home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home. Entry, motion, and glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. It's 24 7 monitoring by live security professionals, and you can set up your system yourself. No tools needed, or Simply Safe can do it for you. And it is only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash overtime and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure to go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. And we are now joined by our first and certainly most important guest of the night, uh, my friend Nick, who is an ED nurse and manager at one of the largest hospitals in New York City, who is going to talk through the current situation on the ground for us. Nick, first time on the pod. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for everything you've been doing uh, in recent weeks. Excited to have you on. Yeah, I'm excited to be on too, Joe. Uh, And I appreciate you having me on. Uh, This is definitely the most pressing issue in New York City. I'm glad to talk about it and we'll definitely do so. And then I'll let you go ahead and talk about what's probably the second most pressing issue, which is the New York Jets organization. Of course. I, I mean, look, I, it's, it's a weird, it's a weirdly staggered podcast because we're literally talking about like the most important thing in the world for the first half of it. And the back half of it, I'm talking about like Brashad Perryman and Robbie Anderson, which is like the 900,000th million most important thing on the world. But all that aside, right now, could you just talk through like what is a normal day like for you right now? Maybe give a little, you know, background context as to uh, what your job was or is and how it's evolved in recent weeks. Sure. So I've worked in the same ED in New York City for the last 10 years. Uh, for eight of those years, I worked on the front lines um, at the bedside. I do more uh, quality assurance type manager type work now, but um, obviously attentions have focus solely on COVID-19. So primarily all of us, you know, no matter what your position is, is focused on the ground. And especially if you're working in an emergency emergency department, uh, you know, we're just trying to make sure that we have like all our ducts aligned, that, you know, we have processes and systems in a place to handle um, what we uh, have already come into and what we are expecting in the next coming weeks. So just to go uh, over briefly, um, about basically what a typical day is like. I mean, uh, you know, one thing I want to bring up, there's two really important topics to bring up. And one thing to, to mention to everyone is we're still seeing a large volume of patients that are coming into our ED that are looking to be tested and are otherwise asymptomatic um, or those that are otherwise healthy, you know, they don't have any medical history, no asthma, no diabetes, none of the significant comorbidities that can play a major role in this um, or are not elderly are coming in with these mild symptoms and are eventually being sent home and they're being sent home without testing. Um, those, those are the people that are really overwhelming the department right now um, in terms of volume. So um, my one big thing for those people is to just stay home. Um, you know, we're not going to test you in the ED. And to be quite honest with you, we, we shouldn't be testing you because the, when it comes to illnesses like this, the management stays the same. And that 
you know, if you're healthy, your vital signs are stable. And when I talk about vital signs and speaking with, when it comes to this in particular, I'm speaking primarily about your oxygen, if that's okay, um, and you walk around with a good oxygen saturation, which basically manage, you know, accounts for the percent of hemoglobin in your body that carries oxygen to all your vital organs, if that's okay, then you're going to go home and you're, yeah, you're going to go home with discharge instructions that basically say you're likely positive for COVID-19, stay away from pretty much everybody and stay home. And I think that's really important to note in this because of the fact that, let's be honest, people who are coming to New York City EDs, they're not driving a car. They're taking public transportation. You know, they may stop at a store here and there that, are, that whatever left is left open. And, you know, if they're positive and they likely are, that they're going to potentially um, be infecting other people. So that's a really important thing to know. And I think the one major symptom when it comes to COVID-19 that's very, very different than the others is shortness of breath. Um, if you're experiencing shortness of breath um, and you think and you have all the other symptoms that have been discussed, you know, around the clock and in various forums, then I would say that's something that you should see the, the ED for. Uh, because primarily when it comes to flu and other viruses, you know, you're not going to be short of breath. You're not going to feel like, you know, you can't walk up one flight of stairs without being winded or, you know, whatever is typical for you. If you're seeing a change in that and in your breathing, then I would say that that's definitely the time to seek um, emergency services, whether it's call 911 or go to your closest ER. Um, that makes sense to me. You know, mild symptoms, again, you're just exposing other people and perpetuating the problem and testing, again, not, not the best place to go. So I would suggest, you know, reach out to your primary care provider who is more than willing, because I know for a fact that they are more than willing to talk about you about the symptoms that you have and refer you to wherever they think the most appropriate setting is. The second thing is that, you know, the ED right now, um, speaking obviously for one organization, but we're being overwhelmed with COVID positive patients that are sick, extremely sick. When I mean sick, I mean they're going to the intensive care unit. Um, they're, they're having breathing tubes put down their throat, and it's not discriminating to any ages. Uh, I mean, we've seen just about every age group uh, have to go to the ICU related to this illness. It's, very, it's, it's something I've never seen in my 10 years, for sure. And I, when I first started my career, H1N1 was the, the, the biggest thing and probably the, the most recent thing that's even similar to this. And it had no impact in our ED that's even comparable to what's going on right now. So I will say that you know, the first thing is obviously stay away from the ED if you can. And the second thing is to just understand that this is a real thing. And the patients that are, are coming in and needing to stay in the hospital are really sick. Our hospital has dedicated units um, to solely focus on these patients so that we can get them out of the emergency department as quickly as possible um, so they can go to an appropriate level of care. And that's so we can focus on the next patients that come in through our doors. Uh, labor and delivery is basically an extension of the ED for us. I mean, they, we, we send any patient that's 20 weeks or up to the LMD, and now it's gone down to even 14 weeks just because of our volume increase. So they're seeing also uh, an extremely large amount of patients that are potentially COVID positive. So 
uh, yeah, you know, the attention is basically solely on this. And then, of course, you have uh, your typical emergencies that, that never stop, right? You know, you have your strokes, your heart attacks, your traumas, all that's still coming through the door. So it, it's a hectic time, for sure. I mean, I don't think I need to explain that to anybody, but, um, you know, the problem is severe, and I think we really need to focus on put, putting out as much education to everyone else as possible. I think, yeah, I mean, I think all that really helpful and just kind of making clear to people that the volume of what you're seeing right now is problematic. So if you can stay away from going into the hospital, particularly in New York City right now, uh, please do that. And please, if you are not feeling anything, still practice no necessary social distancing so you don't potentially end up in one of these situations. And I think also emphasizing that this could impact anyone of any age. I think most people around our ages were both, you know, in our, you know, our young thirties, you know, initially it was, this could really only be dangerous for old people. And it just feels like that is a bit of an overblown thing that anyone of any age could get very, very sick from this if they actually get it. So do not put yourself in any situation when you can get it, where you could get it. When it comes to things like uh, supplies and things that, you know, people like you and your, your counterparts need access to. What is like the best thing that common people could contribute to? What do you guys need more of? Because there's so many different uh, stories and initiatives out there. What, where, where do we donate? Where should money be put towards? What are the best things that you guys could get your hands on right now? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, I, I have to say that N95 masks, are probably the most important thing when it comes to PPE and uh, specifically to the ED. And and I wanted to say a couple of things about that, right? Because the CDC has come out saying that, you know, you, the only PPE you need for COVID-19 patients are those that um, require like what we consider in the hospital contact and droplet isolation, which is really just a gown, gloves, and a surgical mask, not the N95, um, which is probably true. And I'm not going to knock and get into anything more than that about those details. And uh, But the other part of it is that the N95 is needed um, for more invasive respiratory um, treatments for these COVID-19 patients. So when I talked about the breathing tube before, when you place that breathing tube in a patient, that's when you're supposed to have the N95 mask. Um, and not only are you supposed to have an N95 mask, but you should have a room that's designed for that respiratory type isolation, which is uh, called the negative pressure room. It basically just sucks the air up through the vent so that it doesn't, you know, cause those contaminants to go outside that room. Um, that's the room you need. But the reality is in all EDs across the country and likely more just talking about New York City, they don't have enough room to be able to do those procedures solely in negative pressure rooms. So the reality is in the EDs everywhere, we're probably intubating or putting that breathing tube down these patients uh, to help them breathe in rooms that we shouldn't be doing that. But that's only because we're trying to do what's right and we, don't, we, we can only do work with what we have, right? So what ends up happening is when you do that in those rooms, you're putting those contaminants into the air that could be up there up to like three hours. I don't know. There's probably new literature. It comes out every single day. But, um, you know, it's up to like three hours. So 
the reality is these ED nurses do need N95s because we're not being able to appropriately place these patients in the right rooms to be able to say, okay, we can get away with just a surgical mask and a gown and our contact and droplet isolations. I don't think we can actually say that because of what's actually going on on the ground. Final question before we let you go, because you gotta you gotta get some rest because you have another big week coming up ahead. How do you, I mean, look, uh, how do you keep your personal morale up working through this kind of situation every single day? And how how are you seeing your you know counterparts and the people you're working with, fellow nurses, doctors, uh, finding ways to push through because the, you guys are as deep into this as you possibly can. And every day, you know, particularly over these next few weeks is going to be that much more challenging. So how, how are you seeing people like yourself, you know, push through some of these particularly difficult days? Yeah, that, that comes down to two different things. I think one, it comes down to the same reason why people are in, in the ED and maybe specifically to my organization, because this is a common thing that we talk about all the time. And when people ask, like, why, why, Nick, have you still been here for 10 years with everything, with how crazy this place is? And that's prior to COVID-19. And the simple answer is the people. I mean, the people that you work next to are, are, are coming to work because they want to, because it's, it's, it's a crazy place. But at the end of the day, like, the people that work there are just as crazy. And, you know, you build and you work off that and the vibe there. I mean, it, you, you'd be surprised the morale um, of the of the of my coworkers down in the ED. I mean, there's positive, and I think at the end of the day, some of them are happy that you know we're really focusing on a lot of true emergencies because that's kind of what they signed up for. Um, but you know, you just you do just go to work because you're you're you know that what you're doing is right, and you know that you're making a difference. And I think. They're feeling that impact more now than ever just because the attention that healthcare workers have been getting with all this stuff going on. Uh, and, you know, obviously I think that they should have been getting that attention for a long time, but it does help to, to hear the support. I mean, I can't tell you how many texts, emails, or, or just like simply the thank yous or someone gave me, you know, a Dunkin' Donuts card to thank me. I mean, that's, does go a long way. Um, so I will say that that is a big deal. Um, as an organization um, and as a department, my director, he sets up calls every night, 10, 10 p.m. for all nurses and basically anybody who works down the ED area. It's like a Zoom meeting that, that we have at 10 p.m. And we just go and we update everybody on what's going on. What are the new things that we're doing in the department to kind of tackle the issue? What are some of the things that we're seeing? And I think that is really helpful for the morale because at the end of the day, you know, this is new. It's why they call it the novel coronavirus, right? Is that it's new. So there's still things that we're learning about the virus every single day. So the fear of the unknown is probably the biggest thing to make an impact on morale. So if you can keep people updated as much as possible, especially when we're talking about health care workers who are, who are smart, and just want the most, you know, up-to-date evidence-based practice and information about what they need to do to be safe and, you know, how patients are going to move through the department, um, that helps ease anxieties. And I think that's something that I would, I would recommend to, uh, you know, any other department who might be listening in is just, just stay in contact with your staff 
let them know what's going on, uh, and let them have some form of avenue to bring up any questions or concerns so that you can work on them. All right, Nick, we appreciate the time tonight. Uh, as I mentioned at the top, we're going to be uh, sharing through a link that will help all of our listeners donate towards helping people like Nick uh, in New York City get their hands on as many masks as possible. We appreciate uh, everything that you guys are doing every single day. Uh, really, it's just impossible to put into words. So just you know, keep up, keep up the great work, man. And uh, you know, uh, we're happy to have you on later when things settle down a little bit to fight about the Jets and the Giants. Well, we're going to need more time than that, but uh, I appreciate all the time they've given me to talk about this, and I hope people are listening. And thank you in advance to anybody who decides to donate and, and help out a good cause. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, we're going to close this week's episode now with more of a traditional topic for our podcast. Uh, We're going to reset the Jets' current depth chart after the last week of free agency and discuss their offense a little bit before we wrap. Uh, We're going to have another episode later this week, which is going to be a similar format to what we've done in recent weeks, uh, where we're going to talk with Dalvin Osario, Dan Eason, and Greg Armstrong on a range of topics. We're going to start kind of tilting the meter a little from free agency towards the NFL draft because we're getting into April. And by all accounts, the NFL draft is going to stay on as scheduled. Uh, I also didn't bring this up at the top, but a regular reminder uh, to subscribe to and check out Badlands, our subscription podcast hosted by myself and Connor Rogers, available at turnonthejets.podbean.com. And a thank you to everyone uh, who was in our last 50 subscribers as we donated that $500 to the first responders and medical workers of Hoboken. We put that through today. Uh, as you can tell from that, and as you could tell uh, from the focus of tonight's episode, we are very grateful and thankful uh, for all of the medical workers, uh, particularly here in the tri-state area where it hits close to home, who are out doing the real work right now, while hopefully all of us are doing all we can, which is just stay at home. Uh, Stay at home, donate when and wherever you can, uh, and let the medical workers uh, go be the heroes because that's what they are right now. So 
Let's talk some football. So the Jets, since we last did a version of this podcast, the, basically the main move that they made is uh, Robbie Anderson moved on. They replaced him with Rashad Perryman on a lower cost contract. You know, not substantially lower, but lower depending on how the all the, all the incentives shake out. Could be anywhere from six to eight million dollars. Uh, Robbie is a two for twenty million dollar deal with twelve concentrated in year one. Um, again, we need to see the specifics on both contracts to really have a feel for how they compare. Um, but as it stands right now, your Jets starting offense is likely to be as follows. Uh, Sam Donald at quarterback. There's no backup quarterback currently on the roster. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is the starting running back. No real backup running back on the roster right now, although Bilal Powell is likely to be brought back. And I could see that being a position they addressed in the NFL draft. Uh, on paper, the top of their receiver depth chart is Perryman, uh, Jamison Crowder in the slot, and Quincy Inua, who is still under contract. They passed on the opportunity to release him and save that cost, so it would seem they are anticipating him potentially playing next year. Uh, and then rounding out the depth chart is Josh Doxson, uh, Braxton Berrios, and Vincent Smith. At tight end, you have Chris Herndon, Ryan Griffin, Trevin Wesco, and Daniel Brown. Uh, the current starting offensive line, even with how low cost it came out that Greg Van Routen's contract is, you would still probably project him to be a starter over Brian Winters. So you would go Van Routen at right guard, Lewis at left guard, who was brought back, Connor McGovern at center, George Fan at left tackle, Chuma Doga at right tackle. Uh, your backups would be Jonathan Harrison as your backup center. Um, Josh Andrews, who was recently signed as a backup guard, Brian Winters, who is still under contract and could be competing with Van Routen as a backup guard, uh, and then they still have Connor McDermott under contract as a backup tackle, although he doesn't really have all that much experience. Uh, ben Braden also on the roster as a backup offensive lineman. Um, I think you know where you see the glaring holes and where needs to be addressed are the positions that everyone expects the Jets to aggressively address in the NFL draft. You have to get more at offensive tackle. You cannot count on both George Fant and Chuma Doga to be starters. I think, you know, our conversation with Brandon Thorne on Badlands really kind of did a good job diving into Fant and why he, why he is really best served to be sort of your top backup at tackle and more of a, a swing backup off the bench who was used in certain heavy sets, which is how Seattle used him last year. And you have to assume that unless something weird happens, the Jets are going to go offensive line in round one. I don't know if that comes from staying put at 11 or maybe moving up a few spots to make sure they get one of the top four guys. But the expectation should be that they're going to take a guy in round one who is going to start, which means the other spot will come down to a Doga and Fan. Now, there's no guarantee that either of those two guys could start at left or right tackle for 16 games, but counting on one of them is far less risky than counting on two of them. And if you nail that draft pick, you only have to count on one of them and you give yourself a little more depth and flexibility overall at tackle. I also would not be surprised uh, if the Jets kept poking around at that position, whether it was a mid-round or late-round pick uh, for further depth or a potential free agent addition. I would not bet on Jason Peters or Trent Williams ending up here. Uh, I think a lot of teams are interested in those guys, and I'm not sure based on what we've seen from the Jets the rest of this offseason, it's going to fit into the overall plan they're doing. I'm not necessarily saying I wouldn't advocate for one of those moves. I'm just not, I'm saying I wouldn't bet on it happening. 
Um, I think they're probably set on the interior of the offensive line. They're going to feel good going in with that group. I think right guard is still a question mark. I think Winners and Van Routen both have legitimate durability questions and consistency questions, but I think the hope is between the two of them, uh, you get enough to be okay. Same deal with Alex Lewis, who also has some durability questions, but I think the Jets are hoping he can carry over what was an okay performance last year, and that McGovern who is the best player on the offensive line right now, could really elevate the play of the guards overall. So I'm not expecting any more uh, real investments on the interior offensive line. At running back, I could see the Jets being patient and you know maybe kind of picking around the scrap heap uh, for veterans over the summer uh, and adding a mid-round pick to go with Bilal Powell and Le'Veon Bell. I'm not expecting Ty Montgomery back. They do still have Josh Adams on the roster and Kenneth Dixon, although I'm not sure either of those guys are really 53-man roster players. Um, backup quarterback, I don't know if there's necessarily a rush to sign this guy. I don't expect the Jets to draft a developmental backup. I think they'll go sign a Matt Moore or bring Trevor Simeon back or maybe a Joe Flacco, although I don't know if that's all that likely to happen. But I think they'll go get a guy who has started some games in the NFL before to back up Sam Darnold, which makes sense because he's missed six games throughout his first two years of his career. Um, with receiver, you know, this happens... You know, when, when players leave, I think a lot of Jet fans are uh, have talked themselves into Robbie Anderson not being a good player who was not worth keeping in any shape or form, and that Rashad Perryman is equally as good as him as an NFL player to date. It's just not the case. Uh, there's no world in what we've seen from Rashad Perryman's current NFL career and Robbie Anderson's current NFL career that Perryman is a, a lateral move or an upgrade. I think he was a good plan B, and I'm not down on Joe Douglas for not getting Robbie Anderson back because I think he wanted to play with his college coach and the Jets would have had to probably get up to, you know, 13 million in year one uh, to keep him around. And I personally wouldn't have mind doing that. I've been, you know, a pretty consistent advocate about the Jets keeping Robbie because I think they have the cap flexibility to do it. And I am an advocate on doing whatever they can to make life for Sam Darnold easier. And Robbie Anderson is Sam Darnold's favorite target to date. He's someone he has a lot of good chemistry with, particularly when he breaks the pocket. Uh, he scored a lot of touchdowns in that way where Sam has broke the pocket and found Robbie working the back line. Um, did it against Buffalo uh, last year. Uh, he did it, uh, I think it was in the Washington game this year. He had a touchdown like that. Uh, and I think he had another one against Houston uh, last year as well, where Sam sort of breaks the pocket, moves around and finds Robbie, uh, who was just in good rhythm with him. Now, I am not unaware of Robbie's limitations as a player, but I also think the numbers do not tell the full story with him uh, because of the kind of offense that he was in and because he dealt with playing a backup with a backup quarterback for three or more games in each of the past three years. So look, he has a unique skill set. I would have found a way to keep him because you want to keep offensive talent. I would have done both. I would have kept Robbie and I would have brought Perryman in and I would have added it in the NFL draft because you want as much depth and flexibility as possible because you're not going to have a true quote-unquote number one receiver, which isn't even really a real thing anymore. There were five receivers total in the NFL last year who went over 1,200 yards. You want to have a mix of different targets between running back, receiver, and tight end who have a diverse skill set so you could spread out the targets. There's only a handful of these quote-unquote number one receivers out there. Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, uh, what was Antonio Brown before he lost his mind? 
uh, they don't grow on trees. And so you just need to build a talented, deep group of pass catchers for your quarterback, and you don't improve that by letting Robbie walk. Now, Perryman, fine as a plan B. I just think you have to be pragmatic about what he's done to date in his career. This is a guy who up until the final five games last year had had no production of note in his NFL career. Um, very inconsistent, struggled with drops, bounced between multiple teams. Tampa doesn't do anything the first 11 games of the year. After some injuries hit, he gets more of an opportunity. He closes the year on an absolute tear. 87 yards uh, against Jacksonville. 70 yards and a touchdown against the Colts. The big 113 three-touchdown game against the Lions. 102 against the Texans. And then finishes the year with 134 and a touchdown against Atlanta. Impressive in any context. I just think you have to be aware of the context in that Tampa threw the football at an historic rate last year. Jameis Winston threw for 5,200 yards. It was an arena league offense. So replicating that kind of production and that kind of system is going to be challenging, particularly when you look at the situation in some of those games last year playing you know, a Detroit team that I would politely say quit on Matt Patricia by that time last year and an Atlanta team that was playing basically all backups by a meaningless Week 17 game. Now, production is production. Um and Perryman was a first-round pick way back in 2015 for a reason. There's physical talent there, and he's a good guy to bet on having some upside for, kind of similar to George Fant. I think betting or assuming he's going to start for 16 games for you uh, and be a legitimate lead receiver is probably risky, uh, and I hope the Jets plan to do more uh, NFL draft weekend, even if that does not come in round one. Uh, I hope they take multiple swings, potentially even multiple swings on day two to round out this group of receivers. So, you know, best of luck to Robbie in Carolina. I think, uh, you know, Matt Rule will have a plan to how to utilize him alongside uh, Bridgewater and McCaffrey uh, and Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore and what is becoming a pretty interesting Panthers offense. Um, and as for the Jets, I think Perryman has some potential. I just don't know you know, if he's going to be an exact Robbie Anderson replacement uh, or he's going to maybe give the Jets 60 or 70% of his production and they're going to get the rest of it from other places. And that could come from the NFL draft. It could come from a healthy Chris Herndon. It could come from Le'Veon Bell being used properly. Uh, we're going to see. But I think this Jets offense uh, still needs some work on paper. you got to make life as easy as possible for Sam Darnold. And to date, the Jets have done a far worse job than the Ravens, Bills, and Browns of building around their 2018 first-round uh, first quarterback. And you just have to look at you know, the depth chart. You look at Buffalo. They did somewhat similar to what the Jets did last year on the offensive line and sort of went with this quantity over quality approach. But they did have a couple more quality swings in getting both Mitch Morse and Quentin Spain in one offseason and then grabbing Cody Ford uh, draft weekend to kind of round that out. And then last year they get John Brown, Cole Beasley go back to the well this year, get Stephon Diggs. And I think most importantly, and this is something Joe Douglas is going to have to do, found mid-round talent in guys like Devin Singletary and Dawson Knox uh, to give them that much more depth. You look at Cleveland, you know, they were a disaster last year as Freddie Kitchens might have been the only coach along with Matt Patricia in the NFL who's worse than Adam Gase. Now they've moved on uh, from Freddie Kitchens, but from a talent standpoint, they, they go get Austin Hooper this offseason to go with Najuko at tight end. They are, we already know they traded for Odell Beckham. They already have Jarvis Landry. 
Um, they have they add Kareem Hunt, Kareem Hunt to go with Nick Chubb, who they got as a mid-round pick. They went out and got Jack Conklin to boost the tackle position this offseason. Uh, they've done what they needed to do to give Baker a chance to succeed, and he succeeded as a rookie. He did not succeed last year. Be interesting to see what he does in year three. And then Baltimore, they curated an offense specifically to his skill set. Uh, and, you know, they did it as good as you possibly could, and that's a credit to their offensive coaching staff. Uh, they go out and get Mark Ingram. Uh, they draft multiple receivers with great speed to complement what Lamar Jackson does, and we saw how well it worked last year, at least in the regular season, until they got into the playoffs. So the Jets have more work to do around Sam Donald. You have to make life as easy as you possibly can for him, and it's not fair to him to say, Year three, make or break year, your top two tackles are George Fant and Chuma Adoga, and your top two receivers are Brashad Perriman and Jamison Crowder. Now, there's still time this offseason. Uh, there is still the NFL draft, which is going to make or break Joe Douglas long term. Can he go get one of these top four tackles at number 11, and can he get the right one who's going to make an immediate impact for this team? Can he find a day two contributor at receiver who's going to play and be a big factor in 2020? And can he make other moves throughout draft weekend that are going to round out this roster so Darnold has a puncher's chance in what will be a competitive AFC? Yes, New England's going to take a step back without Tom Brady. They're not going to fall off the face of the earth. Buffalo's gotten better on paper. Miami's gotten substantially better on paper. As we just said, Cleveland got rid of Freddie Kitchens. Pittsburgh will have Big Ben back. The Bengals will have Joe Burrow. The Dolphins will probably have Tua. Uh, you know, these teams are going to be, you know, mixing and matching and, and improving around the conference. So it's going to be, you know, a challenge in the AFC. And as we know, the Jets have to play the Chiefs next year. Uh, they have to fly out and play the Niners. Um, I'm sorry, they don't fly out and play the Niners. They have to fly out to L.A. twice to play the Rams and the Chargers. And they, on top of that, have to play the Seahawks and Niners. So, look, I just want more help for Sam Darnold. That, that's all I think we're looking for at this point. I think there's been some good first steps here, but it's going to be have to be a more uh, complete overall process. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening on this feed. We're going to be back with a new episode, uh, likely Thursday night, uh, another roundtable episode. We will have another episode of Badlands live this week as well. Uh, that's turnonthejets.podbean.com uh, for that show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you again uh, to Nick for joining us, and we will be back later this week.